Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day, the world is changing, and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. To kick this podcast off today, can you explain what you do as though I'm a five-year-old? I run a website called procurementsoftware.site, and we are essentially a directory of procurement tech solutions. So if a procurement leader wanted to really understand the length and breadth of the market of procurement tech solutions that are out there, they can do that very easily and completely free of charge on our website. We've got over 400 solutions listed on there, and there are a number of filters that you can apply on the website to do that. Yeah, I will add to that, that when you first launch, which I'm struggling to remember. It was just over a year ago. Is that correct? It was March 2022. Yeah, it was March last year. Yeah. So I played around with it a bit just for fun, really. And it's wonderful. I still go back there to research what's going on in the space. So I just jump in, have a little look, have a look at you know, what's going on in the negotiation space, because that's a fairly exciting area of ProcureTech. So I massively rate your website and what you're doing there and uh, would encourage people to go and check it out because I think it's super hard to find unbiased websites which give you all of the information you need about a certain provider and that's what I think you deliver on. Yeah, and that's an important differentiator, actually. And that's something that I definitely wanted to stay true to when I launched it is that we do sponsored content through the website and through the podcast, but nobody pays us to be listed on the website and no one pays us to be sort of top of the listings or in any top 10 or top 15 or whatever lists. So we do allow software solution providers to augment their profiles with screenshots, videos, that type of thing that is sponsored to do that to sort of pimp their profile a little bit. But we don't have any paper click or paper ranking or paper listing or anything like that. I think it's incredibly valuable to have that. Just to move on, we're going to be talking about a little bit about creativity a little bit of maybe being an entrepreneur within procurement here. Before we get going, James, I'd be really (laughs) interested to hear what kind of problems you think procurement have at the moment and why, you know, talking about creativity and procurement is needed. And also it's a little bit out there, isn't it? From some of the conversations I have with people, I'm completely on board with this, but what are some of the major problems you're seeing in procurement at the moment? Yeah, I mean, creativity, I think, sums it up in one word. And I think procurement needs to become more creative because we've, over the past 10 to 15 years, our profession has almost been trained to behave like robots, I think. And the cynic in me maybe would suggest that that's been done to try and commoditize the job a little bit, to, to put the pressure down on salaries. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's now showing to have been a bad move because I just got back from, we're recording this beginning of October. I just got back from ProcureCon in Barcelona and a lot of the discussions in the roundtables that they put on and in the workshops were all around how do we attract the right people into procurement that have got the soft skills and have got the new abilities and flexibility to be able to cope and thrive in the profession, specifically looking, recruiting younger members of society into procurement, recent graduates, younger millennials, Gen Z. The truth is they're not going to be attracted to a profession that's using 
email Excel and antiquated ERP systems with a user interface that feels like it was from, you know, back when I was a teenager playing Sonic the Hedgehog. I think that whole creativity and it's a bit of a cliche, but making procurement sexy. So as people want to actually come into the profession, you're not going to do that with a very bureaucratic, technocratic approach to the profession and legacy technology. Yeah, your Sonic reference wasn't lost on me. That's probably one of the first games. <laughs> I played uh, on the, the Sega Master System. That's an interesting observation from uh, ProcureCon, right? And it's interesting, for one, that they're talking about this and it's being spoken about in a forum like that because you know, people like you and I, we've been talking about this for years and at times it's felt like we've been shouting into the void <laughs> about you know, people aren't going to want to come and join procurement and equally, people aren't going to want to stick around and i'll be perfectly honest one of the main reasons i look to get out and just take a break from procurement and why joining gatekeeper was so appealing is because i was so tired of these working in outdated systems excel sheets most of my work had been done in those methods that you've just described and it can be a little bit draining on the the soul so being more creative in the space sounds good maybe we'll start off with this question which is how do we get more creative in procurement? That's a great question. So it's easy for us to talk about it, isn't it? But it's very difficult politically, especially in large organizations, to be able to bring about that change. I think we face two problems. I think there are still too many CPOs that are in their roles who think a little bit like civil servants and not like entrepreneurial agile business leaders. So I think we do need to bring some of the methodology and some of the mindset from startup world or from tech companies into procurement organizations and into large corporates in general. So I think that's a part of it. But even if you've got a really dynamic head of procurement coming into, you know, let's say a greenfield role to elevate and transform the profession. If you've got a company that's run by legal and internal audit, and they're the ones that call the shots, it's still going to be challenging to be able to let that individual really bring his or her flare into the organization if they're having their wings clipped by, I use that word over and over again, but very technocratic approach to how a company is run. So I think there does have to be a more pragmatic approach to corporate bureaucracy. And there does have to be an element of willingness to take risk. And, you know, I understand you're a lawyer by profession, right? You come from the legal background. I do understand that it's a lawyer's job to mitigate risk and, and to consider all potential outcomes and ensure that the company is prepared for that. Likewise, you know, internal audit have to do the same, but I think there's a certain amount of common sense that has to be applied. And, and yes, if you're sourcing textiles from, from countries that have a reputation for child labor, or if you're sourcing chemicals from countries that don't have a stellar record for environmental protection, then yeah, of course you have to diligence. But you know, if you want to reduce the payment terms on a vendor that does 50,000 euro worth of business with you, or uh, if you want to get a contract signed for a low risk category that you're only going to be spending a few thousand euro with, you know, it shouldn't have to go to the bloody CEO to get or to a head of procurement to get authorization for that. There has to be a certain amount of pragmatism. And I think if you're bringing hungry, intelligent, thoughtful people into the profession that want to be able to think for themselves, they're quickly going to get tired. The proverbial can't go to the toilet without asking the teacher. Funny enough, James, your last point, I genuinely had to do that in one role kind of just shows the attitudes that are out there still 
And uh, yeah, people may think that we are speaking, spreading hyperbole in some way here. We're genuinely not. We've experienced a lot of bad procurement, let's say, <laughs> over the years. We've witnessed it. We talked to a lot of people who there. also <laughs> experienced it. Yeah, like we promise you, this is, we're not hyping anything up in any way. I guess, James, when you were talking there, one immediate thought was, is tech an answer to this? And maybe I'll open this up to you in a moment. You also mentioned a word that a number of my previous guests have used and spoken about, which is agile, bringing agile methods into procurement. Is that also a a way to kind of bring more creativity, bring that a little bit more flair and remove those sort of burdensome sign-offs and approvals and ridiculous limits that some businesses impose? It is and it isn't. I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit with this one. So back on series three of the ProcureTech podcast, which is the podcast that I host, I had a gentleman on there called Merkel Kleiner, and he's an agile procurement expert. And we were talking about this exact question, actually, could agile methodologies be applied to all categories in procurement when it comes to sourcing and select of a new vendor. While it certainly has a place outside of software procurement, you know, I think specifically for, I'll use an example that I'm familiar with, if you're buying machinery and equipment and you don't necessarily have a firm specification in mind, but you know the features that the equipment needs to do, or you know what the output needs to be of that equipment or of that production line, I think you can very much apply agile procurement, especially if, as engineers often do, they've got a preferred vendor in mind to do it with. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that vendor is trustworthy and they know that they deliver on time and that the machinery generally is reliable, doesn't break down, who am I as essentially as bean counter or as a policeman to argue against that? You know, if they've built up that, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. If they've built up that objective opinion of a vendor over time, rather than them just, be, just being friends with a salesperson. Not saying that doesn't happen, but I think it's becoming much rarer as professions generally sort of modernize. Where I don't think it necessarily applies is if you're doing the classic sourcing event for a very commoditized product. You know, let's say you're a category manager working for an airline and you need to go out and buy a million meal trays. It's just a piece of plastic to a certain specification and to certain dimensions. So, you know, I'm sure there's a bit more technical spec that goes into it than that. I'm not trying to belittle it, but it's that is something that is does belong to the classic RFP. Now, are the non-price factors that go into sourcing those airline trays? Of course, but it's something that with a good piece of e-sourcing software, or even, you know, if you run it right, probably run that on email and Excel. Would you do it as well? Would you do it as quickly? Would you do it as thoroughly? Probably not. But I don't necessarily see how agile methodology would benefit something like that. I'm going to join you on sitting on the fence in how you described it, because those two examples are kind of where I've experienced it. And it has worked wonderfully. Like you say, for those commodities, it probably just feels like, like you're just adding flair for no obvious benefit whatsoever. So you mentioned tech fair. Is tech a solution to creativity here, James? Yeah, I think it can be. And the unsexy answer here is I think the biggest gain will be through using tech to reduce the amount of time that it takes to do the everyday tasks that procurement has to do. So, I mean, thanks to technology like RPA, robotic process automation, and generative AI, a lot of this spade work that procurement still finds itself having to do, I think is already in some instances, but can increasingly be automated away, or at least simplified. If we use generative AI as an example, we can kind of use generative AI now as personal assistant to do a lot of research or a lot of simple tasks. You know, AI should be able to write 
a pretty good outline to an RFP document, or it should be able to generate a fairly reliable NDA if, if you tell it what jurisdiction and what industry or context you're writing it for. Yes, it will help creativity in the procurement process in the sense that it will free up that time and that bandwidth of the procurement professional to stop having to spin so many plates and hopefully be able to spend more time with stakeholders and to spend more time with suppliers. And you know, by understanding the capabilities of the supplier and what's driving them and understanding the need and wants and desires of the business, you know, as long as you've got a relatively progressive organization that values that and isn't just measuring you on hard cost savings, then I really think it's the more simple areas of technology that will enable us to do that. I think people have almost got caught up in this wave of artificial intelligence, right? Because there has been a, a lot of hype around it. You mentioned RPA, robotic process automation there. Such an undervalued, but such a game-changing way of doing things. If everyone just implemented RPA into their processes, and firstly, you make sure that you're, the process you're using is efficient and doesn't have any wasted steps and whatever else, you'll suddenly realize how much harder your life was before deploying it. So I'm with you there. The generative AI piece is super interesting, right? The chat GPTs, BARDs, things like that. Really good for research now. They always connect to the internet in real time. You can do so much with those with just almost a few bad prompts. <laughs> you can get fairly good information out of that. So to your point of, you know, the simple technologies can make a massive difference to how you're doing things. I'm with you. Just on the point of sort of a return on investment, I'm gonna, just going to jump ahead a little bit here, James, because you're just sharing some upsides to what tech could do in this space. What would be the biggest return on investments for sort of reimagining procurement in this way, bringing a bit more creative flair, a little bit more agility, dynamism to it. What would you say the big ROI is here? I think the biggest ROI is that you're essentially going to get more work done through having pretty much the same wage bill. If we take round numbers, if you've got a wage bill of $10 million or euro or pound on your procurement team, obviously a pretty big procurement team, maybe let's say 1 million. Most teams are going to be um, thinking, oh, I want that. I want that yeah. budget. <laughs> okay, let's say it's a fairly small procurement team. Let's say you've got a $1 million or euro budget and and let's say you've got 10 category managers that each earn 100K within that budget. I would argue that with the right tech stack and with the right mix between category managers, technical experts, and perhaps an admin assistant or two in there, from the same spend from that 1 million, you probably only need to have six procurement people, then a couple of specialists and decent tech stack to be able to deliver a greater ROI on what you were spending just for 10 category managers being paid 100k each. Because if those 10 category managers that are on 100k are spending a third of their time doing admin work or doing non-value added work, that's the type of task that you could go on one of these freelancer platforms and, and hire an assistant for a few dollars an hour to do most of this, you know, filling out travel expenses or emailing people to get contracts signed or just doing basic basic research to put together an RFI, which probably generative AI can do these days, or will be able to do in a few months time with the pace that it's changing. I think if you reimagine procurement to use your term and how can you get that ROI, I would say just think outside the box and say, okay, think backwards and say, okay, this is the amount that I've got to spend. I don't necessarily have to spend it all on a specific type of labor, i.e. a team of catmans. You know, I can have maybe five or six category managers and maybe an admin assistant, a data scientist, marketing person or a copywriter to do some PR to the wider business and then spend the rest on technology that can automate a lot of the repetitive tasks that procurement were previously getting dragged into. And I think that will give you 
a much greater ROI because even if you've only got half of those category managers, but they're able to spend 100% of their time on delivering value and they've got the tech and the complementary functions to help them get there, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that they'll probably deliver more. Yeah, certainly. Just that point you made, I was thinking back to when we first started speaking back in 2020, maybe 2019, but we did some podcasts together back in 2020. And we were kind of having that conversation back then without even this this wave of AI, right? And the tech those few years ago was no way near the level it's at now in the procurement space. And we could already see that there was huge upsides in teams changing their from sort of that traditional structure to a slightly different one and enhancing it with tech. Your point though around bringing in freelancers, bringing in data scientists is an interesting one that I just think so many people it doesn't even cross their mind in procurement. I spoke with Hannah McDonald from Monzo in this series you know, quite a while back now. And her team is made up of some sourcing specialists, some data scientists, some coders. And it was just really refreshing to hear someone who's putting that, what you've just said, into practice. And just on the whole point of like, you can find a decent EA, right? A decent assistant for not a lot of money. You can do so much of the admin, even if you don't go down the the tech path where you'll still save a huge amount of money within your your team structure and free up procurement people to do the work that they actually want to do and not fill out forms and spreadsheets and whatever else they're they're getting stuck into yeah and as a business owner you have to walk the talk because there's only one of you and you have an infinite amount of things that you have to do i've got one he's brilliant he does uh, a lot of things (laughs) that i don't want to do and he probably does them better than me and he's a lot cheaper than me so yeah why wouldn't you yeah certainly i've just been listening i haven't finished it yet a tim ferris podcast i can't recall the guest i'll add it to the show notes and the description of this podcast but fundamentally focusing on freelancers and executive assistants in that a lot of people feel like the work that they're doing can't be done by someone else that they have some insight some context that means that they're the only person who can do it i think procurement often think this procurement professionals definitely think this and what you'll find is you record a video maybe on loom or something else you send it to your ea and they return a version of the work you need and it's usually 80 90 right first time and it only gets better. So don't necessarily fall into the trap of thinking that you're the only person who can do it. Yeah, I mean, you do like, it's a bit like sourcing, right? You have to have a pretty good spec of what you're looking for to enable you to get good offers or good candidates in this case. That was definitely a key learning for me when I was looking for an executive assistant. I actually hired a company to do the shortlisting and the screening process for me. And I was very, very clear about what I wanted. And I focused more kind of where we're at with the procurement conversation as well. I focus more on soft skills rather than technical ability. And for me, the attention to detail and the ability to read and follow instructions, you'd be amazed if you go on freelancer platforms, how many freelancers can't read a job spec and just sense through something completely different. Anyone that's been on something like Upwork or any of these platforms can probably empathize with that comment. So yeah, attention to detail was my number one criteria. I said, don't put anyone through to interview that doesn't have stellar attention to detail. If you can give me three candidates that are good there, then I'll probably be able to work with them. It's a great point there. The technical skills ultimately can be taught, but uh, attention to detail is a, a very difficult skill to teach. So it's much better that someone has it. James, I'm just thinking here, you know, we sort of talked about you know some of the methods of how to do this. We've spoken about the benefits of return on investment. 
What are the major challenges holding maybe procurement leaders back, businesses back from sort of changing their way of thinking about how to do procurement here? I think the major challenge is really just the attitude of the business. And we've both spoken about this before, but we're not very good at marketing ourselves to the business. And I think, you know, in terms of what we need to get or, the, or where we need to get to, I think all of the things that procurement talks about, you know, having budgets for software, having a seat at the table, you know, not being under pressure to cut headcount every year or to be limited around the types of people that they can recruit because of salary challenges, travel budget being cancelled, all that type of thing. If we became better at marketing ourselves to the business in terms of enabling CEOs and our senior stakeholders to understand the value that we can deliver, you know, beyond just being a contract processing func or a function that delivers cost downs or, you know, negotiates at the 11th hour when someone needs to buy something and they're over budget. I think if we could get that message across more eloquently in terms of what else can we do that's out there, the transition to us becoming, I guess, sort of the chief value officer rather than the spend police. If we can do that successfully, the rest will probably come. Won't happen overnight. Patience is not one of my strong points. I always think, you know, why are we so behind with technology? Why are we still, to your point, talking about what we were talking about three years ago or even 10 years ago in some cases in terms, yeah, of, in terms of wanting to be seen as a more strategic function? But I do genuinely think that if we were able to communicate as good as sales does or as good as departments like environmental health and safety that have to be good communicators cases to get people to have a, a safe workplace the rest would follow yeah i'm completely on board with that it's a challenge right so i've got no easy answers to help people but really do focus on how you're communicating with different people at different levels across the business and showing how you're going to bring value for sure james i just want to ask you a couple of quick fire questions here because i'm very cognizant of your time so What's one piece of tech you can't currently live without? Airtable. Airtable. Oh, that's interesting. Built the back end of my website on it. Yeah, I've heard amazing things about it as a sort of a project management. It can do all sorts, right? So good shout. My last question, James. I always feel slightly weird about asking this one. I'm a procurement genie. You have one wish. What is your wish? I think I touched on it already, but I think that we become better at marketing ourselves. So I think what would be my wish? I think it would be that instead of procurement being sent on its annual negotiation refresher, that we just put all of procurement and all of marketing and sales in a room together, order a barrel of wine or a keg of beer <laughs> and get them to talk to one another about what makes each other tick. No, it costs I, nothing other than a hotel conference room for a couple of days. Yeah, I Simple. completely agree. Salespeople want to talk with procurement people because salespeople deal with awkward procurement people all the time. They want the inside track. They want to figure that out. And marketing are just pretty chill, right? They want to just do a good job for the business. So I'm completely on board with that. James, this has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I look forward to talking to you next week in person again. Thanks for yes, coming on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Always good to catch up. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.